spent more than 20 years in engineering and then suddenly decided to become a tech recruiter. But now he's here to give you insights on all things recruitment from an engineer's perspective. This is Dubel's Talks with your host, Mark Dubel. had a good weekend. Welcome to episode 4 of Dubbel's Talks. As mentioned last week, this is a special episode for me. Today I'm talking with Dov and Mark about sourcing and outreach. And as I mentioned, I love outreach. It's something really, really dear to me and a big part of sourcing. This is also where we as recruiters and sourcers can do way, way better. Unfortunately, most people have more examples about bad outreach than they have of excellent outreach. And my mission is to change that to help you become better in your outreach. Before we go into the discussion, I wanted to say that I always love talking to other guests, to sources and people that are actually better in their job than I am so that I can get better and with me, you can get better. The reason is very simple. In this case, it's sourcing and it's an art. It's a discipline where out of the box thinking is not an extra, it's a necessity. A good sourcer is creative and gets really personal. Sourcing is also not a junior position. A good sourcer is a true partner to the recruiter and the hiring team. I know that sourcers are utilized in different ways at different companies, and so are recruiters. So that's why it's exciting to hear Dov and Mark's stories around this. Now Mark and Dov have a certain view of how recruiters do their job. This is really depending on what kind of team, what kind of company, right? What kind of recruiters? 360 recruiter is never, ever the same. Full stack recruiter is a title that you hear more often. So it really depends on who you work with. But I do understand their view completely. So at the end of the interview, I will share some notes that you can immediately use in your outreach and sourcing. So don't stop too early. Wait till the end because there's some actual good value at the end as well. So on that note, let's dive into sourcing outreach through the eyes of one engineer and two sources. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Uh, Dolph, Mark, uh, can you introduce yourself and tell a little bit about who you are? And yes, Mark goes first. <laughs> <laughs> Beauty before brains. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, Mark Lundgren. So the short version, I'm originally Danish, but I've been working in most countries in Europe over the last 15 years. Uh, I married a another recruiter uh, and we now live in Spain. Um, so I've been recruiting for 19 years. Uh, anything from sales for a recruitment company to uh, graduate recruitment to, yeah, pretty much anything on all sides of the table, RPO, in-house agency. And in the last six, seven years, I've been focusing on specializing in sourcing. Uh, I have a tendency to something that I feel that I'm weak at that's in the recruitment process. Um, I try to focus as much as I can. I've done that in different stages of my career. Sourcing was the kind of thing that I knew I was weak at um, eight years ago. So I really wanted to focus on that. And I got stuck here. Uh, I love that part of it. And yeah, I've been doing that. Um, sourcing, take on roles that officially are called you know full stack recruiter but with a heavy emphasis on sourcing or building teams where that's important training um things like that so yeah that's me as you say as well it's like it's definitely not a junior role 
uh, it's a specialist role. And you have your own show, right? I have a show, yeah, the, the Sourcing Challenge show. Um, three years ago, I kind of, I was missing podcasts that talked about what we do. Um, there's a lot of people who talk, but a lot of very few people actually talk about what we do. There's recruitment podcasts, but again, I wanted something more kind of like on what I'm interested in. Um, and then it was a good excuse to talk to some of the friends that I knew or I wanted to get to know. Um, so I started an interview show three, well, yeah, three years and two weeks ago, um, interviewing some of my friends and getting the, you know, how did you get started in sourcing? Who did you go to to learn? What were some of the resources that you used? And what are some of the tools that you use now? Just kind of get that conversation. That has now grown to 67 interview shows uh, and a weekly show with Dove where we just record the things that we talk about anyway. Um, and then, yeah, there's more interviews coming. So uh, it's, it's I think, 35 hours of audio and video content already and, you know, growing every week. Nice. And it brings us to Dove. So I know Dove from um, a year ago or something like that. We spoke a little bit. Yeah, it was uh, a little bit over a year ago. I think it was like uh, July 2019, I think. Yeah, during the heat wave in the Netherlands. Yeah. I came back to uh, from Spain to the Netherlands to to cool off, and then we had a heat wave. And then I sat in a little room, because we weren't in our own house. We were at a friend's house. I was sitting in a room full of toys talking to Dove about, <laughs> about elastic and about sourcing and recruiting. So can you do a little bit of an intro? Yeah, sure. So I'm Dove. Uh, originally, I'm from Lithuania. I relocated to the UK, what is already seven years ago. And I was fortunate enough to got relocated with a job. So I was uh, one of the first sourcers for Western Union back in Lithuania. And uh, so I'm sourcing since 2000, mid-2013. I always mix up the date because I'm already lost in the years. And every single interview, I'm like, I realize that I give different number. But 2013 is when I started it. Um, and... Uh, I kind of was drifting a bit away. Uh, I would be taking some time off to travel or like I was doing some coordinating, but still I kind of get back to sourcing. Um, I would say that I'm a generalist when it comes to sourcing uh, because I, depending on the assignment or a contract, uh, I would dive into different fields. So it started with salespeople in EMEA. Then I drifted into uh, musicians. Then I had uh, rec to rec uh, for like really big tech companies in London. Uh, then I did big data and analytics. Then I had UX. You know, it's it's random. Uh, there's a lot of different stuff. Um, I wouldn't call myself a technical sourcer. I kind of always try to talk to companies that need one because I'm willing to learn. And that's how we got to talk, right? Yeah, so that's how we got to talk as well. And the irony was that uh, when we have conversations um, about potentially working together, I already have something that I accepted. So our, conversa our conversation just turns into like a, a friendly chat, you know, which is the best way to do. And, uh, and, and you know, I remember when, when we first had a conversation, uh, we were like, oh, let's talk like it was a 30, 30 minutes in the calendar or something. I think we ended up talking for like an hour and a half. Yeah. Because we just enjoyed <laughs> we just enjoyed each other's company. And and I think that these kind of conversations are the most important ones because um I love when it's not just scripted stuff. And uh, I think we'll we'll we're gonna talk about this later. But on the side as well, um 
I started, just like Mark started a sourcing challenge show three years ago, four years ago, I started my blog. Well, originally started six years ago, but it's all about music uh, because I'm a singer-songwriter and passionate about music. And I wanted to discover, I wanted to share music uh, that I discover with others that no one knows. So that's how Indie Top 39 was born. And now we're taking things a bit further and we're introducing the power of Indie, which is a, an independent community that we're building of artists all around the world. And we're doing uh, weekly, uh, weekly virtual events uh, under Songwriting Circle as well. So there's like a lot of, a lot of that happening. Um, and I was really thrilled when Mark invited me to join him for the show and co-host with him. So, you know, it's just like, it is right now even even feels that we're having you know a yeah. very similar conversation <laughs> with two friends so that's the best way to do it it's a beautiful thing and the only downside is you that you're talking to mark and mark so good luck with that one um it's gonna be messy but hey we'll take that for granted <laughs> <laughs> hey um i know a little bit about you of course um the audience learns a little bit about you uh, as well but what I really want to know is, you've been sources. It was a, it's a very deliberate choice of you to become a sourcer, right? So, what are the biggest misconceptions about sourcing? Where do we start? <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, and I'm not even a sourcer, right? But I know. Well, no, I, I, yeah, Mark, yeah, go, go for it. No, I think I, it's what you say, and it's not just in Europe; it's everywhere in the world where. Because the history of sourcing has been very much that kind of executive search and it's the junior people doing the research, um, that's still very much the monocle that many companies think of. It's like you do a coordinator and you might promote them to a sourcer and then you have to be a sourcer because, before you can get promoted to a recruiter. Indeed. Um, and, and I was lucky because I've gone through my kind of, you know, I'd already done lots of years in my experience before I switched. And then I was lucky to land up in an American company where I was the most junior person there. Like, you know, I had less than 15 years of experience uh, and, and everybody else in my team was former directors and who had chosen that they wanted to do sourcing. Um, so I like the first company I was in where I was a hundred percent sourcer, I was the most junior person there, but I still had more than 10 years experience, but everybody else was. And it's very much that kind of thing. It's like, look, the sourcer, we're the first point of contact for the most part. We're the ones doing the outreach. We're the ones that have to really pitch the company and the, you know, what, what we're trying to get them to talk to. So we need to understand the job better than pretty much anybody else. Um, and that's where the experience comes in. That's why I'm always pushing like, look, you can put a junior person in the sourcer role, but that's not going to make them a sourcer. It's really that knowledge of what's the job I'm looking for and how do I map the market that I'm working on? And that's where experience makes it easier. I'm not saying that a junior person can't be a good sourcer, but having experience just makes it a lot easier because we know what we're doing and we've been in situations where we can look back and it's like, I think this is what you're calling the role, but based on my experience, that's not what we're looking for. Let me tell you what I think we're looking for and then tell me if I'm wrong. Um, whereas a lot of you know less experienced recruiters are gonna have a hard time doing that. And they're gonna go down the wrong rabbit hole. Yeah, so what I notice is that a lot of recruiters, um, 360 recruiters, they call them, right? So you source, you handle the whole process. They don't really source. They put a Boolean string out there 
And that's it, right? And then they hope to attract the right candidates. Well, it goes wrong with the Boolean string at the beginning already, uh, but that's a whole separate thing. But they they don't see that sourcing is more than just finding people. Can you can you explain a little bit more about what happens after you found those people? I mean, that's the easy part of it. I I, I look at it a bit like all of the games where um, I used to play online poker and. Um, you have certain variations of online poker that's from a gaming point of view has been solved. It's like there's a mathematical right way to do everything. Um, and for me, it's like finding the people is not really the hard thing. And that's what most people think we do all day. Yeah. And yes, we do a lot of that. But there's tools to help us. There is, you know, with that's not the hard piece, especially in technical recruitment. It's the, the, the piece in between. It's like from me knowing that this is somebody who could be interesting, how do I get this person to talk to me? And then how do I get this person to be interested in talking to whoever the next one in the line is, whether that's a, a manager that's looking for this person or a recruiter that I'm supporting? That's the hard piece. Unfortunately, it's the piece that most people don't talk about. Um, any training out there and things like that, you'll have one chapter on emails or in-mails uh, or whatever it is, but it's it's because it's not solved. It's it's very much personal preference, and it's a lot of A/B testing. Um, so people don't like. It's not something where you can like. Oh, there's a tool for that. There isn't. Um, that's the heart piece, and that's. I mean, Dov and I, when we met, that was one of the first things we talked about. Like, what do we do? How do we get people? Because it's like you know, we we can all send a hundred emails every hour. That's fine. Template out. Uh, you know, we're gonna get the volume, and eventually, like, we're gonna find something. Somebody's gonna be interesting. Spray and pray. You just ha- yeah, you you happen to, and it's it's what it always been. I'm 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 a bit saying, you know, LinkedIn now, like, is what Monster used to be back when I started, where you would go in every morning and see what new CVs have been uploaded. And now it's like you go to LinkedIn Mikuda and see who's who's looking for work, who's updated their LinkedIn profile. And that it's not sourcing. It's it's what recruiters always have done. Um, our job is to kind of yeah take it a step further and say like, how do we actually map the market? But most important, how do we get these people interested in talking to us? So Dov, I wanted to ask you right. If you're looking at, it's more than just searching people, right? How do you get your information? Where do you get that from? Because. As a recruiter, I have the relationship to the hiring manager. What I often see in companies is that they basically give the recruiter a sourcer, which is kind of off because that recruiter, that sourcer should be working with the hiring manager, not with the recruiter. So how do you normally do that? Well, I would say that it can be a mix of different things. Um, ideally, I would be working with both um, because I, I don't like to manage the process 360. So I want to have recruiter and, and work alongside a recruiter and working together. Mm-hmm. But in, in that case, uh, recruiter would be handling all the incoming traffic for the rec, and I would be you know there to support to have additional uh, profiles that are needed or that are missing. Because in the last few years, I was had a more of a focus on diversity as well. So I couldn't just bring in just about any profile. I needed to bring in what was missing. Uh, sometimes it was more bigger focus on men. Sometimes it was more on women, but it would be more like a healthy balance in a way, um, mm-hmm. which is a bit, you know, it's a different conversation. But um, I would say that, you know, just as well to maybe uh, to touch upon about few misconceptions, uh, what I wanted to 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 mention that I struggle with that, that 
just because with when recruiters, uh, what you mentioned, they, they put in a few keywords and then they go on LinkedIn. Typically, they because we don't have time, they look at first two pages of LinkedIn. It seems like recruitment teams, they just assume that LinkedIn is the only place where you can actually find people. And for me, that just backfires because uh, I'll never forget when in my last kind of office job that I did. It was like a contract role, but I stayed with the company for longer than eight months. Um, we were in the open office and you know you have these two big monitors and I'm using multi-highlighter, I'm using, I'm looking into the source code of some of the websites, I'm using like you know different, different weird things. And then you know you're sitting next to the director, for example, or a senior manager of the of the team who has no idea what it is. And if someone would ask them, oh, so what does Dove does the whole day. The person that was sitting next to me, I, 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 I would catch her looking into my screen and really being completely confused. <laughs> and I said, well, do you even understand what I do? Because, you know, if someone would ask her, what do I do? That puts me into a really weird space because if the person doesn't understand, they might say, oh, he's just looking on Facebook or like he's doing really weird stuff. Um, but I believe that sourcing, if you're creating, creative at sourcing um, you should not limit yourself and you go where the people are and sometimes you end up in really bizarre places um, you know I, I remember I had a situation when I was so uh, so thrilled that I managed to get into data visualization slack group as an example um, it was not easy to do um, I was honest I was using my personal email and I and I just said look I'm, I'm brand new to data visualization I want to learn you know but and, it helps. And, of course, you know, I, I'm not going to be, you know, I don't have these um, avatars, fake accounts. Like there are quite a lot of people. Show suck puppets. Yeah. yeah, there are. Unfortunately, there are quite a lot of people in the industry who are using fake accounts for many different things. I'm not just saying that recruiters, there's a lot of marketing people. Uh, you know, I've seen a lot of that. We had discussions with both of you before uh, privately. Um, but so misconception about what sourcing looks like um, because you know it's obvious that a lot of people still think that it's a junior role um, and for those companies that think that I believe that the sourcer will never be able to deliver as much as they could if if that relationship was equal um, because you can when you think about it like that I think that the challenge right now that I see that a lot of sourcers work on the contract roles and all and a lot of the recruiters work on a permanent roles, which in reality should be switched because a recruiter is just someone who is handling incoming traffic. And, and the sourcer is the one, you know, the sourcers need to stay in the company longer because the longer they stay, the more intel they have. Recruiters don't necessarily have that intel because only all they focus on is their specific manager or that specific role. Now, when the sourcer is on the mission to find someone, of course, everyone is very different. The way my brain works, if I'm already looking for profiles, um, it doesn't matter if my contract is going to be three months or six months, I will be piling people into different projects or into different lists. Uh, okay, this is the junior. I can approach them eight months later. Even if my contract ends in six months, I still have that list. Yeah, you know, so you're, like, you're thinking ahead into the future. What might the company use in a year, two years? What might the candidate be open to? 
So this is the thing, right? Um, I've been in recruitment for four years. I've been an engineer before. So I've seen the other side of recruitment. And I've seen a difference between sourcers and recruiters. There are amazing recruiters out there, but most of them, let's say I joined recruitment because if you cannot beat them, join them. And that's <laughs> that's the most honest reason. Um, and and I, I fell in love with the field, but I, I noticed that sourcing is that it sparks something with me, right? I am not a sourcer. I need to do everything, but I like to be one of those recruiters that actually understands sourcing. And the more I dug in, the harder it became. It's, it's a specialism, right? And I'm still proud that I hired somebody via Twitch, which was a very old way how <laughs> I landed there, but found them. Um, but that kind of sparked me into, into your show uh, and into to listening to more podcasts about sourcing, right? You're listening to Dubel's Talks with your host, Mark Dubel. So... Now you, you are working with a recruiter and, and with the hiring manager, right? So what kind of information do you normally want to gather? That And I'm not talking about the standard stuff, right? Everybody knows a job description, which is 80% uh, um, and <laughs> never telling the complete truth. What are the, the fine-tuned things, the weird things that you want to know from a hiring manager or, or the recruiter? I mean, a lot of the times it's something as simple as like, where do you hang out? Be- because we know it's not LinkedIn. So it's like, you know, where would you go to f- know more about the industry? What conferences do you go to? Because that means we can either get speakers or depending on how deep you go and how gray zone you go, uh, we can get the attendee list. Yes. <laughs> um, because, you know, and, and that's one of the things that both I know Dove has worked on and I worked with uh, the other part of, of sourcing challenge, um, Aaron, who's that's his specialism. Um, you know, that's one of those things, but also like, what are the sites? What are the online forums? What are the, you know, what are the meetup groups? Like, what are the things that, what do you do in your spare time that's still related to the job? Uh, and that's whether it's the manager or the team that you speak to. The recruiter doesn't ask those questions most of the time Correct. because they go in and they they have a job description. They probably the one that we wrote that job description into a job ad. So they think they have a good idea and, and that's really for most recruiters, the extent of it. Whereas we're looking for what are the companies that, that these people will most likely come from? Uh, what are the companies definitely don't want them to come from? You know, what have they done in the, what did they do in their spare time? Like any kind of attack vector for us to see like, is there a community that we can tap into that will identify this person as somebody in that in that right role and and how far do you go because i I had a recruiter that was um going into people's strava even to basically look at where they've been how much they run and build a message around that is that the point of stalking is that the point of acceptable i mean i could definitely go into i would never i would never build an approach strategy based on that and i mean if i worked for strava maybe you know it, it would be relevant to it Yes, I go to people's Facebook, but it's more about finding connections. Like you find one person, you find that they're in a specific Facebook group and you're like, who else is in that group? And then, yeah, that might've been the place that I found them, but I wouldn't go in. It's like, oh yeah, have a look at your family. I see you have a lovely family on your Facebook. And like, like it yes, happens. I've seen their Trust Facebook me, profile. <laughs> of course it does. And I've, I've freaked out some of my, like some of the, the hiring managers by liking pictures that, they, they posted about their climbing adventure and I'm not connected with them on Facebook and they don't understand how I could even see the picture, you know, <laughs> things like that. 
But just because you find them there doesn't mean that that's where you approach them. Like I would still go and, you know, what's an acceptable channel? So like DM them on Twitter or send them an email based on on the email that they have on their GitHub or, you know, whatever it is, like, you know, whatever I kind of like, I know for most people, like Facebook is is not really an acceptable way to approach. So I won't. Some industries like DMs on Twitter is okay. If it's open, I'm going to use it. DMs on Instagram might not be, but again, in marketing, it might be. Yeah. Um, so yeah, depends on your audience. Kind of the, it depends on the audience and kind of knowing what are the idiosyncrasies. And to be honest, sometimes just trying it out and seeing what the feedback is. If I start getting, you know, uh, cease and desist letters, then yeah, that's that's not the the right way to go. When they start talking too much about GDPR and the right to be forgotten, then okay, maybe I should go another direction. And uh, and I want to add to that as well. So um, Twitter, uh, you know, can be very good uh, source of communities using certain hashtags, um, depending on the. I know that for data and data visualization, that was. The, the the place to be because people are so vocal and they talk about things and then from twitter you can actually pick the the events the hashtags the communities and that even can link you into meetups or slack groups or uh, you know other other more private places but just just the same as what mark said that you might find person and you might cross reference the information across different places but just like you know, Mark would not necessarily send a message on Facebook. I would not say. I would not. I don't think I've ever used business email. I, I try to like for me. This is a, such a big no-no because I just like I don't cold call in the middle of the day, even if I have person's number. I find it rude if if you know before the whole thing that you know. COVID happened when people were working in the offices and we know that they're in open environments and you don't necessarily want to be putting the person into an awkward situation because maybe his manager is sitting next to him. And, you know, it's just, for me, it's a no-no. Um, just the same, I would not be approaching person on Slack. I will find their profile on LinkedIn, uh, potentially, and then build more information. And for me, when I... Um, when I start the search after, you know, talking to the manager, um, now before, so when, when I get the rec, uh, for example, when I meet the manager, apart from what Mark mentioned as well, what I would be asking is as well more about the team and how the team works, because um, as well, what Mark already mentioned, but when we approach people, you know, in a way we, we wear so many hats. We are marketing department, we're sales department, we wear HR, we're recruitment. You know, we're all in one because if person has never heard of the company, we're the ones introducing the company. Yes. And it is extremely, it's extremely important to get that message right the first time because if you do it right, and even if the person doesn't respond, you still follow up and then they're going to respond. But if you fail the first message, like sending a hundred messages with the same thing, it's not going to work. Um, so there are a lot of uh, different um, aspects. Um, and, you know, another thing uh, that I want to add to the whole thing, that a very big challenge is um, that because recruiters are so used to handling incoming traffic, 
they are used to getting full CVs, right? When we are approaching people, we are basing it on different information. Sometimes we're just guessing because a LinkedIn profile can be empty because people don't want to be messaged. They don't want to be found. And, and we are only targeting uh, people who are on those first two pages. Well, recruiters typically do that. Sourcers, like someone like Glenn Caffey, I'll never forget when he said, you need to go, if you have 500 results, you go for all of the 500 results because it's the way that those results are displayed is simply the algorithm. Yes, correct. It doesn't mean that the best people are in the first two pages, but what it means that those two pages will be will be full of people that are getting messages all the time. And what are the chances that the people in the last pages are getting any messages? No one even bothers to reach them. So there's like a lot of a lot of that because when I'm working with the hiring manager, um, I would try to educate them saying, look, I wanna, um, I, I will go, I will do my, I will do my, you know, thing trying to understand what the hell we need to begin with, um, to put everything together. And, and then I will come back to you and I will give you the long list of some sort. And I want you to tell me which people you want me to focus because it's one thing to have a list of 100 people, let's say, um, but if if all of those 100 people come back to you, what what's then? You won't have time to talk to all of them. So for me, it's 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 all about having focusing on quality and having fewer people that you actually approach, rather than playing the numbers game. Of course, in tech, sourcing is very different because yes, you know definitely. you have you have more of a volume and and the ratios of people responding are different and so you can't apply that to everything but i've seen it work both ways sometimes i've been desperate and i was just really trying to get to people when no one wants to talk to you you know so there are different <laughs> ways yeah so in tech you mentioned this you mentioned a few very interesting things uh first tech is a very different beast right that's the part where all the recruiters nowadays and all the sources are focusing on because that's where the big money is, according to them. And that's where the recruiters, or sorry, the candidates, and I'm talking from experience, absolutely hate recruiters. Because if you get one message a week, it's okay. But if you get two a day, you're slowly going crazy. And then you see the difference between a good source or a recruiter and a bad one. Because it's the messaging, right? You, you both talked about it. It's, it's how you construct a message. Now, that's the most closest things to my heart. But before we go into that one, you mentioned something else. And that was the, the calling in the, at the office. Now, I'm in a lot of Facebook groups about recruitment. And there was somebody that actually said, so candidates tell me I'm, I can't talk right now. I'm working. So what the hell is that for an excuse? I'm going to call them tonight. I remember we had this discussion with you, like in, in that group. Uh, it's, I think it's completely wrong. Um, if if the candidate wants to talk to you in the evening and you are willing to give your time for that, if you work on a flexible hours, that's different. But yeah. you expecting the person who might not even be interested in talking to you to pick up the phone when they're resting. Yes, indeed. It's for me, it's wrong. Like you can send an email in early morning hours or in the evening. So then they would potentially open it. But another trick that I like to do when I was do, looking for rec to rec and especially 
I had a big challenge with finding senior sales recruiters and with salespeople as, as well as tricky as with tech people. So I started using that was what, Mark, three years ago, I think. Yeah, three and a half or four years ago. So I, I went to my manager and said, hey, can I use WhatsApp? No one was using WhatsApp for these kind of things back then. And I said, I want to test. I have, a, I have phone numbers of people. I don't want to just call them or send SMS. I want to send them a voice message over WhatsApp as my first message. I will see when, they when they're going to hear it. Because you have those blue ticks, you're, you feel forced to respond because you know that the person knows that you've listened to the message. And the very first time I did it, it was hilarious because the... The person, I was in the WeWork, so I was walking in, recording something, and the mic didn't really work, and the guy came back to me. He's like, look, the quality of the message was so shit, but call me in five minutes. I want to know what it's all about. But that's no. an untapped thing, right? And this is, yeah. this is what I was leading up to, because the phone, I don't believe in cold calling. I had to do it at my first agency, and this was the beautiful thing. I had a role, the multi-body dynamics engineer. 13 people out of, uh, out there in the world and I had to call 50. I'm like, <laughs> How? And the second thing is, are you going to call them? If people call me and it's an unknown number, I don't pick up. Nobody has my number. So if you call me, like there's something wrong. I'm like, That's you're, it, you're right? either an Amazon delivery or you're somebody that I should have known in the first place. So it's called calling dead. Again, it depends on your industry. Some industry it still works. Um, definitely, I, I I see less and less. I mean, probably now, if you have their mobile number and people are working from home, you might get away with it. Um, I don't. I, it's a bit like marketing. It's like you have direct marketing and you have the ones that like I kind of subscribe to is more the the permission marketing one. Um, all of my outreach has a call to action. Is it's got my calendar link. It's like look book a 15 call, 15 minute call with me. That's going to link them to a Zoom call. Um, and that's the way I like to do it. And they can either, you know, dial into that Zoom call and have video or non-video. Uh, my wife does it as well, the, the call to action, uh, but she gets their phone number and then connects with them on WhatsApp or Viber and says, look, I'm going to call you at that time. I'm going to call you on, on WhatsApp or Viber uh, with audio only, Just but just setting the expectation. But just putting that, and I did that because I was, I was tired of doing email ping pong. Oh, can you talk? And they're like, yes, I can talk. When can you talk? Doesn't work. How about, you know, you're back, and you're like three emails later when I'm like, here's my calendar. And it's open at night as well. Uh, I, I've even tried with some markets. Um, I, I've done US, I've done South America where because of where I'm based, like I had to have it open until midnight. In some markets, uh, when I did India, it was open in the weekends because I know that the people I was looking for would they would not talk to recruiters doing work hours and a lot of them were doing american time zone so work hours for them was at all times uh, but weekends was when they could actually talk so it, again it depends what's the look like what's the market that you're in i know that there is people out there that are that are still getting a lot out of uh, cold calling and that's that's you know fine when i started my career it's the same thing you had to cold call um you know 60 64 calls a day because that would yeah, statistically get you what you needed. <laughs> um, and that's fine. That was 2005 when I was an agency. I, I, I didn't like it either. Um, and it's like, it's not me and it's not what I like doing. Like I'll rather, I'll rather do the, the kind of, the, the poll thing is like, look, this is who I am. You want to talk to me? Here's the easy way to talk to me. 
Um, I'll send you a couple of emails, but at some point I'm going to stop sending you emails because you're obviously not interested. Yes. Um, but you know, here, here's my, here's my number. If you want to reach me, this is the key to make it, to make it as simple for the person that you're trying to talk to, to talk to you back. Uh, because you know, how many emails do we get in general? I'm not even talking about work emails, about personal emails. We subscribe yeah. to hundreds of different newsletters, this and that. And and even if you read the message, you might want to respond. You're distracted by maybe a phone call, a message or this or that. You know, everything is done typically now by, by your phone anyway. Uh, and what I love about the, uh, you know, like Calendly or different kind of solutions for people to put the time into your calendar but if something changes we don't need to tell you they can just re you know reschedule yeah. into yeah. another time and you will get it so it removes all of those clutter and and you know conversation that is not even needed so they just pick another time and that's absolutely brilliant so i'm gonna i'm gonna tell you how i normally source and i want to have your your unsalted opinion right uh, because i have some some people say weird approaches. Um, so normally I talk to my hiring manager. I want to know the same things that you want to know, right? Where are they? What are you looking for? Especially personality threats, uh, because you can actually see that in the profile if you read. Now, there are a few things that I say, and I want to know how you feel about that. First one is when I get my data, when I get all the data that I need to find the right person, I scan first and then I read. What I found is that a lot of recruiters and, and some sources, but I normally deal with a lot of recruiters, they don't read. They scan your profile, pick some buzzwords and think, hey, this is the person. Last year, I was approached for a VP of engineering role. Now, I'm a lot of things, but... But you have 20 years experience, right? <laughs> These were the two keywords. Exactly. It was... How many years of experience and do you have the right keyword? Yeah. yeah. And the beautiful thing was software development. So I actually went on the call with a recruiter because at a certain, I, I can take it to a certain moment, right? And then I'm like, okay, I'm going to test this person. <laughs> Took him 10 minutes before he found out that I was a recruiter. <laughs> so wait, so the person didn't know that you're a recruiter before you went on the call together? Nope. Yep. And yeah, this is what amazing. happens a lot. I get approached uh, by, by a lot of recruiters, and that's the way how I learned, by looking at their approach, thinking, like, eh, and m adjusting my approach to other people. Uh, because often they just scan, they don't read. So what I do is I read, and I try to understand the language that they're using. Is it very casual? Is it very formal? I craft a message towards their profile, and it really depends if they're on LinkedIn or not. Most, In my case, most of the time, they're not on LinkedIn, so I need to use some GitHub information, those kind of things. But I never use the job description. Now, I want to know how you think about that one, because a lot of people are saying, you're crazy. I refuse to use it. I, I, never, I never pitch a job, um, and which is also like asking the manager, what's the story of the team? Depending on what company you're working with, like I rarely pitch the company because I know it's like you're not really joining a company. You're joining a team and you're joining a manager. Like I think all of us have have we've we've joined teams based on who the manager was. And 
regardless who the company was. Like we didn't really care, but the manager was somebody that through the interview process, we knew that we wanted to work with, that we so could true. either learn from or we could learn from or that we knew is like, this is somebody who's going to bring me to where I want to get. So I use that and I'm like, this is your team. This is your manager. Sometimes if the manager is not good, I'll, I'll focus on the team. It's like, this is who you're going to be working with. Uh, you know, these are the opportunities that are there. You might have to work a bit around the manager, but you know, like you'll get there um, and use whatever good there is. And every company has good things, no matter what their glass door review says and things like that. So that that's for me as well. I try to, because I know that the only job of my outreach is to get them on a call with me. Yeah, That's what I use. So for me, it's like, I, I try to, how can I get, them to as easily as possible to do that. I, I'm not technical, so I'm not going to pretend I am. So when I'm talking to the technical people, I very much try that. It's like, look, I want to have a conversation with you about your career. I'm not going to pitch a job. I'd rather tell you after 10 minutes, what you want in your career is not what I can help you with whatsoever. I might have somebody who can, but you know, I'm not it. Um, and I use, like, I use different tools. Like one is video, uh, like which Dov and I have done a lot about. Um, it's about sending people a video rather than sending them. Does it work? It. It, it, it's two things. One, I hate writing. Yeah. Um, I'm horribly slow at writing, which is why I've never written a blog in my life. <laughs> uh, like, you know, I've done lots of videos and I've done podcasts, but I don't write. Uh, and it's similar with emails. Like I do write long emails, but like, you know, they don't always make sense. Um, so instead of sending people an email that's highly personalized, I'd rather send them a video because it's like, if you're used to it, you can get it done quickly. Uh, and it's, I don't have to spend half an hour formulating a right email. I can send you a, you know, 30 second video. The response that we get is very, I mean, my wife does it for all roles. Um, even the ones where she has volume, she's not necessarily going to do a video for each person. She does a video for the role and say like, I'm working with this company. Um, they're looking for this. I'm hoping it's you. And based on what I can see, it is, let's have a call. You know, that's a video. What it does is that they know who you are before they're on the phone with you. Yeah. Like it's, it's that barrier of like, okay, this is, you've made it personal. Um, plus you get like, oh, this was an interesting approach. I've never had that before. Yeah, because I because see most this. Yeah. No, I yeah. see it's coming up, and even platforms that implemented in LinkedIn, um, where you can actually send a video. And I'm on the verge of: Are you going to spend that much time on video? And is are people comfortable to doing that? That's the second well, one. How much How much time do you spend on doing a personal email? I've, yeah, that's that's true. But so let's it's, let's, it's let's see. Like a, a one minute video takes you like thirty second video takes you a minute. Yeah. To shoot, even if you have to upload it. You know, with most of the platforms that I use, it's like it's in your email. So it's like you, you write the whatever text you normally write. And then you're like, rather than, you know, I normally I, I have a bit of fun with it. Like rather than writing you a long email, I put this video together for you. Uh, you know, you record the video, you put it there. It's embedded. You send it off. Like the tools that I use have a GIF version of with a play button. It's like it's enticing, it, you know, and there's a call to action either in the email or on the landing page of the video. And it just makes it easier. Um, it and takes like, a yeah, little we, longer at the beginning, though. <laughs> like everything else, like when you start doing a YouTube show or podcast or anything True. else, yeah. in the beginning, it takes longer. But once you're used to it, you can get up to like, oh, you know, you can get to a point where you can do 20 emails, uh, 20 video emails in an hour every day. If you do that every day, you send out 100 highly personalized video emails in a week. 
which for most companies, you should get a lot better response for what you would normally get, uh, even if you personalize it. Because people are intrigued. They're like, this is something new. Okay, let's have a talk, at least, you know, to kind of see why you, you do things differently. And yeah, the like cool it. thing about, about what I remember when Mark was showing me, like, that was like really four years ago when you started experimenting with videos. You know, now everyone is talking about, oh, video outreach, and it's like a new wave of that. But Complete Mark companies, was, yeah. Yeah, but Mark was doing it a long time ago, and I remember like he was showing me, you know, the tools, how, how you know, how to do it, and I tested. For me, it I was not... Maybe I wasn't in the in the mood for that back then. I didn't I didn't really use it, and you know there was only a trial of how, very limited of how you can trial for free. But um, I think what is really cool about personalization, the way Mark does it, that in that GIF that is visible, uh, he would have the name of the person. So, for example, it would say you know on a piece of paper on a on a whiteboard or something, it would say hi Mark, and it would be. You know, you know that it's personalized. You know that it's done specifically for you, rather than oh, it's a sales email that everyone that everyone received. You're listening to Dubel's Talks with your host Mark Dubel. Going back to what you asked about the about the message and about the job description, um, I think that there are two different approaches here. Uh, one is when you are. Um, um, when you are desperate to find someone, and and when you uh, you know when you are let's say building a, a strategy for long term, uh, anyway, what 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 my first message would typically be, I would I would introduce myself and I would introduce you know the team that I'm supporting, and I would say, look, you know we are growing, and I would. I would not necessarily mention the role straight away. What I would say that, hey, I see that she did this, this, and this. But me, then, if I say, oh, you would be perfect for this, would be my assumption of that the person wants to do exactly the same thing, which is not the case. What people want, they need a challenge. They need step up and they need to learn. People, people mainly change jobs when they ran out of challenges in their current over when they stop growing when they hit the wall when they can't it's not necessarily the title you know people will take take a lower title they will take a pay cut for the right company for the right opportunity if they see the long-term uh, path for themselves right so that that's why i stopped doing it as well because it's yeah. like i i was guessing wrong like yeah. i every company has different levels and they don't always correlate yeah and correct. i I was burning too many people by, you know, pitching them a role that was too junior in their mind or too senior in their mind. It's like, oh, I'm not up for a director role. I'm like, well, you sh should be. But I'd rather have that conversation rather than trying to pitch it up front. Yeah, you know? yeah because it's, it's really important, uh, you know, to to just have that conversation, even if it's 30 minutes, which is enough to understand what the person wants to do next, what is missing. And... And when you have that different kind of conversation that others don't have time for that because they would see it as a waste of time, um, then I believe that you will be the, the you know one of the first people on that person's list when he or she are going to start looking for a job. They will remember you and they will come to you and you will have an advantage in the market because you will start the process if you have something straight away. 
without others knowing about it. So there's, and I think that maybe this is the difference between the sourcer and the recruiter, because when the recruiter fills the rec, they just re decline everyone. And let's say, um, I've seen that maybe more with like sales corporate kind of roles. When you have 200 applications, 150 applications, you know, in the hundreds, people not necessarily go for all of them. They, they find those, you know, out of the first hundred, they find those eight people that they put into the process or something. Yeah. And then they just reject everyone else. Now, if you have a sourcer in the team, it's crucial to let the sourcer pick and go through all of the other profiles and take those profiles into their pool and and you know and then the 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 sourcer can take over and say hey you know unfortunately you know the role was already filled but i want to i want to stay in touch with you because we potentially will have the same role in next few months because the team is growing and then when the role is open you go directly for the people who already show the interest and you will like it will speed up the process I like this. I like this. I remember Tiffany uh, Tiffany Balvey, who we we inter I interviewed for the show some months ago, like last year, uh, who's uh, she's a sourcing manager for Microsoft in uh, Washington, uh, Washington DC. Um, part of her team is doing only inbound, like it's a sourcing team, but they only do inbound for exactly that reason, where she said, we don't trust the recruiters to do the applications because they miss things and they focus on the recruiter's job is to fill a rec that they have right now. And yeah. a sourcer's job is to fill a pipeline, whether it's for now or for later. So that's the difference of thinking. Um, so she set up a team to just focus on, obviously Microsoft has a lot of inbound, uh, but if you're only looking for one thing, you'll miss you know, diamonds in the rough for a role that you know you have or you will have uh, because they weren't the first 10 to apply. Yeah, and as a recruiter, you just don't have that time. If I have 20 recs, I just don't have time to look Hey, can we can we share? That's that's a hard thing. And that's what I've seen in both of my training and my being in-house as a sourcer is like most of the time is that look, in an ideal world, every recruiter knows how to source and has the tools and the knowledge to source. It's not that they don't know. Most recruiters I talk to is that they simply don't have the time. Yep. Uh, or in my head, they don't take the time. And I've like I've been in companies where a recruiter said, like, I maybe have an hour a week. So yeah, going into LinkedIn Recruiter and sending out 50 emails, that's what you spend that hour on. You know, you're not gonna go in and do a long list. And I think going back to what you said as well, you look at them, I look at everybody twice as well because first I build my list and because I don't send them emails, I have to go over them again Yes. to go in and find details, to go in and find the things that I wanna, you know, that I want to focus on in my outreach, like, you know, finding those things that make it personal. And that gives me another look at their profile. And sometimes you're like, why did I put this person in this, 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 them? no, I, I don't know which keywords. And I was like, that I, I must have, that was an early morning or late night. Like, I don't, you know, you have a list of a hundred, all of a sudden you're like, half of these are rubbish. And my wife does the same thing. It's like, I, well, she's like, I don't know why I connected with this person, but it's screening he, fatigue. He, he does not fit at all. Yeah. No, you know, Mark. For me, for me, I always have that when I when you when you just start working on a new role, and then like three months later, you discover that first folder of people, let's say the project on on a recruiter account or something, and you're like, oh my god, I had no <laughs> idea what I was doing. You know, um, 
Another thing that I wanted to add as well to this, that um, I've had situations where um, recruiters are unfortunately too focused on the roles that they have for themselves, and they might not necessarily be working as a team inside of the recruitment team to begin with. This is very challenging. Like I, I had a situation where in one of the companies I was uh, I was given an assignment, for example, to to find people that I've like that I haven't like product managers or something like I, I haven't never looked for anything like that. And I started looking into the ATS first because you know, let's find someone who already applied for those jobs before, because we typically ignore those people, right? And we have all of their all of their details and the interest in the company and the consent to approach them, right? That's the easiest way to find them. But those ATSs are not built to find people. Oh, no, they're not. <laughs> that, <laughs> not that's, a, that's, a, <laughs> that's another conversation. And then I remember I, I stumbled upon one evergreen rack, um, which had 1,200 people. 1,200 people. Uh, and the rack was open for three months. And, and I saw that like nothing is happening with that. And like, I, I, I just like all hair on my body, just like I, was, like, I started screaming, like, what the hell? Because something like this for a busy recruiter who thinks like, oh, um, one day I'm going to come back to this. When we're going to have a, when we're going to have the rack open, they don't, in that particular case, the person didn't understand the damage of that wreck because what they did uh, if you if you ghost 1200 people who are interested in the company they will tell how many people about their experience and and then you know i was like okay i was on the contract my team was permanent you know they didn't really bother you know there's like so that's all right i started you know raising those issues and no one cared. No one cared. It was escalated to the director level for some reason. When I left the company three months later, there were around 3,000 people in that wreck. And no one even bothered to close it or to reach out to them. Dov, it's called a talent community. <laughs> <laughs> so no, so... Imagine, so I can actually speak from that side, right? Imagine getting a thousand applications in a weekend. That happens. Thankfully, I'm at a company where they say you have to go through all of them. Mm -hmm. And we can't bulk reject because that's just terrible Especially experience. with your company because it's, it, it's an ecosystem. It's yeah. like if they, they, they probably use the product or... Yeah, 90% sure. Yeah. So it's like, it's a bit like what Virgin was looking at. It's like when they started realizing that the people in their interview process... If they had a bad experience, would have a negative effect of their customers, yeah. Because most of their applications were also customers. But you see that a lot of companies just do it; they ghost people. Even if you apply and you had your first conversation, they just ghost you. And I'm like, that's the worst branding you can do. Now, um, we're reaching a little bit on the end because otherwise we're gonna do five hours. Uh, well, you, well, you think you, that it's the end? Yeah, I know. Exactly. <laughs> You said yourself that like outreach is probably two or three shows at its own. Oh, so, yes, yeah. definitely. So that's why <laughs> we're probably going to follow up on this. <laughs> I think we're both happy to return. So. <laughs> hey, um, 
when you look at, at your experience as a sorcerer, right? And your experience, especially in outreach, what are the crucial things that you would say to anybody out there that's listening? Do this. This will elevate your game. This will elevate your brand, your personal brand, your company brand, because it's your personal brand as well, right? What is what are the impact most impactful things that you've learned and you say you need to do this? I mean, I, I think that the table stakes, and I think most people actually miss that because they're doing keyword research. Look at the profile. Like how many, especially developers, how many developers have in their headline or in their description, if you're a recruiter, please don't contact me. Uh, and then the recruiter doesn't understand that they're annoyed when you contact them. Um like whether they're open for opportunities or not, I really don't care because I don't know when they put that there. Uh, it's the same with GitHub. It's a lot like, of people I know, forget. And, and now GitHub has put it more, I heard that GitHub has put it more like in your face that you can actually putting on your public profile. I guess that will happen when Microsoft acquires you. Um, you know, you want to you want to make it another another recruitment tool. But I mean, I remember like you go in and you look at the API for GitHub. It's like, it says they're hireable. But when did they set that up? Like, there's no date. So was that 10 years ago? Or um, So I'm always like, like, actually have a look through. And that comes back to, you know, I make my list and then I go back and look at the profile again. You know, like, is this really somebody I want to talk to? And I, that's my filter for anybody. If this person sets up an interview with me, do I want to talk to them? Because we've all kind of early in my career, you would send out 100 and then you get these interview requests and you're like, what am I talking to this person about? Like, like he, so does not true. Fit. So true. he doesn't fit whatsoever. And now I have to waste 15 minutes of his time for something I know he's not good for. So yeah, do yourself. And, and you're just wasting your time again. as well. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, find out as much as like, make it personal. Like it doesn't have to be yes. And I mean more than just the first name. I, you know, <laughs> if there's something... Like if there's something in there that you haven't, like most of our American colleagues, they always like, oh, if you go went to the same university, you know, you're like, oh, we're the same alma mater, the same whatever football mascot or football team, you know, you know, and that's an easy way. And, and you can get away with that. Like my football team is very small because I'm from a small city in one well, from a 200,000 person, you know. Uh, people city in Denmark um, but it like find something funny or something that connects you you know find something that shows that you've looked past the whatever keyword that they actually matched yeah because often you see that recruiters just look at the first jobs the skill set and that's it well you can see a lot of and say if you take LinkedIn because everybody uses it um, you look at the awards you look at their their um, there's small things like like generosity things, like where did you work? What did you do? What did you accomplish? Those kind of things. They just don't read them. It's just like first two jobs, that's it. And it doesn't say anything. Yeah, and interest in groups, like for example, one of the ways for me to reach out to people is using LinkedIn group. Because if you belong to the same group, you can message them without being connected and you do it without an email, which is a cool thing as well. Because um, you know they've been on there for ages since LinkedIn group has been pretty much inactive. Those groups yeah. died anyway. <laughs> pretty yeah. dead. <laughs> no i mean we, we use i mean both dove and i use meetup a lot um in that you automatically get like it's a they've taken time out of their life to do something and signed up for something that indicates that they're interested in a specific thing and if they actually go to the events then it's like and whether that's a meetup group or an, you know conference that i may or not may not have actually gone through uh you know 
you have something which is like, look, I, you know, whether it's whether I'm honest as I look out, I, I saw that you went to this conference in whatever. Uh, I'm interested to hearing what your opinion was, or did you happen to see this talk? Like, because most of them now have online, you know, recordings. Uh, and I'm like, I love watching through talks, even though I don't understand what they're talking about. But like, I, you kind of know who the influencers are. And um, you're like, oh, like I saw this talk. I, I saw that you, you know, were, did you attend that talk? Or if they're speakers, which I, I love doing speakers, like I saw your talk. Gotta admit, I have no clue what you talked about, but I know that this is something that my, you know, manager is interested in talking about kind of thing. And and, and to add to that, I think that honesty is really important because and just being yourself, because when I started, uh, when I started reaching out to big data people, honestly, I didn't understand what the hell it is. Like it took me, it took me a while to really understand, you know, even the the basics of it, because I didn't get any training on that. It was just as much as I will, you know, understand it myself. That's that's how it was done. And then uh, when I would be talking to someone on the phone, I would say, look teach me like tell me what you do and because i'm i'm curious i want to i want to know what you do and when it comes to the approach i think that it's extremely important to be just to be human what is extremely important but at the same time you know we we will not it's the the outreach message will be very different if i have additional information and if i don't because if 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 the if all the info is empty, the LinkedIn is empty, GitHub is just a profile, but no information, you won't, you won't be able to come up with an original message. However, the best way is when you have websites, personal websites. I remember like the coolest, the coolest approach for me was when, when I found a person's blog and he wrote something about setting certain goals uh, for a year. And that was like from a year ago. And I sent a message saying, hey, so did you, did you manage to reach like uh, this or that goal? And the person came back to me with a very long response. He was not interested in the role, but he said, well, actually, you know, you know, I managed to, to do this or that, but, you know, I'm still working on that, you know, and that's a very different conversation. And you established something more and that will actually repay in the future, right? Yeah. yeah. What else would you like to share with, with, with people that are listening that are thinking like, I want to be better at, at outreach? No, I mean, I think it's, I think for everybody, and then it's not that, I think that's what we I see with most people. Um, people spend, even the people who spend a lot of time on personalizing, what they personalize is the first message. And 99% of all recruiters that I work with is that they never send more than one message. Correct. Yeah. They do a list of a project of a hundred. They send a hundred emails. If you're lucky, they might actually send emails or something else. And then they give up. They're happy with getting a 20% response rate uh, or, you know, whatever they, however they measure response, they, you know, they might have whatever 50% response rate, but, you know, 99% of that is negative. Um, I'm kind of like, what's your positive response rate? How many people actually want to talk to you? But even with that, what about the rest? So, a lot of what, other than just using videos, a lot of what I work on is like, what's the best follow-up sequence? Oh, yes. And again, I steal from sales. I steal from marketing because they do a lot more empirical research than we do in the group. Um, so I'm like, it used to be like, oh, there's seven touch points before, you know, before people buy things. And it's like, that used to be true in the 70s. It's probably more like 15 or 20 or, you know. So I'm like, from a recruitment point of view, if I'm with a company you've never heard of, and the email you get from me is the first time you ever hear from me or the company. 
what's the chances that you're going to set up a call with me? It's probably slim. So if I get in anybody, good. But how do I follow up with you? What's the cadence of me following up with you? How do I do it without being annoying? Um, and for more me more and more, like how do I use different channels? So instead of sending you an email every three days with something new and some stupid GIF uh, or, you know, something to try to be funny and then at the end set up breakup emails because I'm hoping you're going to get back to me anyway. It's like, well, I already know they're on GitHub because that's probably where I found them. I know they have a Twitter, so I know they're on LinkedIn and some of them are actually active on there. Why not go in and like, I know that if I follow you on Twitter, you're probably going to notice. Uh, if I like one of your, your you know, if I retweet something, because I know it's relevant for my Twitter community, you're going to notice. If I like your post on LinkedIn, you're going to notice. It's like, I don't have to just send you, how can I get in front of, like in front Creeping of you without necessarily, exactly. It's not, I'm not stalking you as such. I'm just, I'm showing you who I am and I'm getting on top of your kind of in, in so that the next time I send an email, you're like, oh, hold on. This is that guy that actually retweeted the thing and put a note to his community that this is something interesting for them that you know thinking of that plus i know it's like the the time i spend on making that first list of 100 that takes a long time and it's probably the best people for that role so why would i do another list instead of focusing on the other 50 percent that didn't get back to me to begin with um so yeah like i have no problem sending four emails over a couple of weeks and you know you know following them on Twitter, uh, liking their posts, uh, going in and, and maybe commenting on something that I've seen in one of their uh, their GitHub community or whatever it is, like wherever it feels natural for me to kind of be part of their, their ecosystem. So I, I completely agree with this because that's you're the, so agreeable today i mean because you know like we i think there is a reason why we are doing a show together yep. because it, otherwise it would be impossible um so what i do as well uh, when because it's very hard to manage uh, how um i think it's extremely hard to manage the the all of those follow-ups um for you because for example yes you can send an email then okay i'm gonna if it's an email sequencing that's different but you need to, when you need to branch out into different places, how do you measure, like, where do you track that? So for me, I have my Airtable automation where I just select from the list uh, different tags, and then I would know what, where I already approached the person, and then I would always keep the track of what worked. And I think as well, uh, there were like few hacks that I was using, like adding the person to list on Twitter, and the list was named, I want to talk to you, uh, or, or crazy stuff, you know, that like like that, or um, as well. Um, I, I, I again, that was a senior sales recruiter, and they were for me where it was one of the biggest challenges, you know, with rec to rec kind of time. And I knew the person was active. I tried email, LinkedIn, connecting, message, uh, you know, everything that I potentially could, um, even WhatsApp, you know, everything. And then I was like, you know, I sent the last email. My subject line was, um, I give up and a smiley face. And I said, look, uh, I've done everything. I know you're actively looking. I know like you're having other conversations because I know that. Uh, I can see that you're active. And if, it's, if you're ignoring my messages, there is a reason for it. Maybe it's just not the right timing. Why don't we just connect? 
And the next time when you, you know, I potentially can help you because we're working with cool companies. And, and that's it. And I sent the message and I marked in my pro, you know, in my files, like, that's it done, you know, no response. The person came back to me within five minutes. This is my number called me at four 30 today. And, and you know, that was the seventh or eighth message. So I noticed that whenever I give up, so I, I don't send those many messages because I don't have the time and I'm going to use your ad table tip there. Um, so that's thank for that. So normally what I do is I, I send out an email, maybe a follow up and then a third follow up. That's it. But the fourth one is going to be, Hey, seems like you're not interested, blah, blah, blah. Thank you for your time done. And that is suddenly respond because you're not that annoying recruiter that keeps on going and going and going. Yeah. No, and it's like, here's my contact details. Here is my direct, you know, direct dial, whatever you need. If you are, you know, if you want to talk in the future, you know where to find me. And and oh, talking not, about... But this, I'm not going to chase you anymore. And talking thing, about yeah. the seventh message, that was, uh, that was only done because of uh, the study that uh, Social Talent did way back when they said that women tend to respond after the seventh message. And that was exactly the female senior recruiter <laughs> that I was chasing. So Love it. You, you need to you need to adjust depending on the situation. But I'm not as uh, invasive um, in general. So, but you still want to talk to them. You still want like. Uh, there, there's another thing. It's like not all sorcerers actually talk to people. That's uh, an age-old conversation. It's like, and that goes kind of back to: Are you a researcher or you know? Because it's like if we start talking to them, we're recruiters, and it's like. That depends on what what kind of thought of school you're in. Like, I like talking to them because I'm kind of like, I like having a, a value added and not just giving them a profile that I think fits. Um, so like doing the outreach is important to me and actually talking to them uh, and handing them over, you know, that kind of depends. I but think I'm, it's also the rewarding part, right? That you actually get to speak to them a little bit as well. Otherwise, you're just, I call it talent insight. Here you go, find them and give them to the recruiter. Plus, you get a lot of tips of like, oh, my company is letting people go, or yes. uh, I used to work for that company, they're really good, or communities. Like, you know, this is the salary, and I'm not really happy, and I know that my company, you know, things like that, that you is not public information, but you get that in conversations. So now we're gonna have some fun. What is the absolute most terrible message that you receive from a recruiter? And I know oh there are multiple, God. it's hard, but choose one that you said that stood out, that was absolutely crap. I think this is a general one. It's like the ones where you get, where you're like, we have this role, click here to apply. I'm always like, if I wanted to apply, why would I need <laughs> you to like to tell me about it? Uh, you unfortunately have some companies where it's like, you'll go through a whole kind of first interview and they're like, okay, I'm going to need to apply. And that's like, I think you misunderstood the kind of legalities of like, you've already, you have a vested yeah. interest. In, like, I'm like, I, I don't want to go through your, your absolutely antiquated ATS system. So like, <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. We so, have to copy paste my whole CV after I've uploaded it. That's that's yeah, I know. So sometimes you just <laughs> apply somewhere and you're like, Hold on, I'm giving I, you my resume. I have to fill it in by hand. No, I'm not doing that. No. I made it a thing. I was like, I refuse to apply for any jobs. And if that's a showstopper, I'm like, yeah, well. Yeah, that's it. Well, um, you know, talking, talking about that for recruitment, I think that that's always um, 
you know, will be a red flag and it should be a big, big red flag for, for the candidates because if the company is not living in the 21st century when it comes to uh, the process of, of recruitment, you know, imagine the onboarding process and imagine how the team works. You know, I, um, I had to turn down the job recently that I was supposed to start because of the onboarding of the, the background check and the document, all the forms that I was they needed. To, these were like hundreds of pages. And I was like, look, I don't have time for that. You know, it's like, this is not the, this is not the way tech companies should work. The and, recruiter uh, part actually tells you something about what you're going to end up in. Definitely. Yeah. I refused jobs where they actually, the company was great or looked great, but the recruitment process was so backwards that I was like, I don't want to work there. I just, no. I just can't. And that was back in engineering. I was like, I'm not going to do it because it gives you a bad vibe. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned something like, hey, click this link. So there's something I believe in, and that's that's from Gary Vaynerchuk. I don't know if you know him, marketing. He's crazy. Oh, yeah. He's nice. And he always says, jab, 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 right hook. So give information, give information. And I noticed with some A-B testing that it actually works. This email is just, this is me. And I never tell them I'm a recruiter, by the way. Um, I just tell them, hey, I work at this company and I'm managing these positions or this team or whatever I want to sell at that moment. And I give them some links with information about, hey, how would this work at my company yeah. and those kind of things. I never ask them to apply because I'm reaching out to them. That's lazy. Mm -hmm. That's just flipping lazy. <laughs> hey, I like you, but you have to do the work. Exactly. Or the worst one, uh, if you're not interested, maybe you know someone. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> that's that's basically saying I'm not interested in you. I just hope that you exactly. might might respond and give me <laughs> however, your friends. However, however, I was, for example, uh, when I was in you know in in, a, in maybe in a desperate situation trying to find people that there were not that many. Uh, I was reaching out to more senior people with the intentions with the intention saying that I was just asking for referrals. Yeah, you yeah. know, as well, because sometimes that if you does... know that they're probably not the right one, but yeah. they would know the right one, then yeah, yeah, because yeah, but then they, you construct your message the... differently, right? Yeah, of course, yeah. because they are the ones who know the community. Because just like sourcing community, recruitment community, you know other people who potentially might be available, um, and they might not respond, but they might respond as well. So, yeah, so I normally do that when they say no. Hey, sorry, I'm yeah. not interested. Then I can say, hey, if you know someone, because in that first message, you basically say, I don't give a crap about you. I just want you. Exactly. Yeah. I even had messages saying, hey, oh, I've got a job for you. And I'm like, yeah, that's spray and pray. Here we go. Yeah, BCC'd you. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the coolest, I think the coolest message that I received um, this year uh, was actually, I, I think I've shared this with, with Mark. Um, because Which one? <laughs> the Lundgren one. Um <laughs> Uh, because it was not, it was, it wasn't coming from the recruiter, but it was coming from, um, I think, some kind of provider of some software or something. And it was like, hey, hey, Dov, how are you? Uh, how are you at Sourcing Challenge uh, show? Um, I would like to talk to your HR department. And <laughs> would you forward this message to your HR manager? And I was like, Mark, I think that he had, he had you in mind. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, especially, especially when we know they've gotten it off of LinkedIn, it's like click on the company and see. No, how many I mean, you know, if, if you would look into <laughs> if you would look into my LinkedIn profile, just like what uh, uh, what, what we mentioned earlier, that some uh, professionals we have in their in their bios that 
recruiters don't approach me or stuff like that. If you would look into my one, I have disclaimer saying that if you if you want to connect, make your message like make your invite personal, and there is a passcode to <laughs> insert into the invite. I can tell you this year so far, nobody used it. Nobody. I've seen that before. Uh, engineer. So I had one engineer. She was amazing. She just mentioned, if you want to reach out to me, mention kittens. Yeah. And I'm like. That kind of, and they put it everywhere, right? It's kind of Easter egg hunting. I like it, but a lot of recruiters, if you scan, you won't find that information. You just won't see it. You had the one that went viral as well, uh, an engineer in America who said he had all of his skills and he said, uh, if, you, if you're if you a recruiter and connect with me, mention which one of these are Pokemon. Yeah, I love yeah. that one. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but those are things that they people are getting more creative to to cut the weeds, basically, and see which yeah. one are actually good or not. Because, you know, what? yeah, what's the point in connecting with someone who says in the message, oh, I read your profile? And I'm like, well, reading the profile on LinkedIn, like um, where you have your personal message, this is the most important bit because that's where the person exactly says what they do or what they want you to know about them. And you have 300 characters. That's a lot. Yeah. So, <laughs> so no, 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 that's more than that. No, not for the invite. Oh, no. for invite, yeah, yeah. So this is the thing that I like to do when they reach out with a generic message and they state this. This is the most beautiful thing that I, you always get is, hey, I really loved your profile. I think you're a perfect match for this for this job <laughs> that's amazing for you in an amazing company. And the only thing that I write back is why. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to even talk to them, because, but I just want them to put in the effort of actually reading. <laughs> and they come back with a story. I'm like, no, not interested. Because at a certain moment, exactly. you're just like, you're perfect. Who tells you that? My yeah. profile can't tell you that I'm perfect for the job. Based, based on what? Yeah. So yeah. I can give you another example. So my profile, if you look on it, is a bit of a mess. Like I have a, a oh, yeah. I'm a founder <laughs> of a music blog. It's not even a company. Uh, then I'm a career coach. And then I'm a, now a co-host and I'm a sourcer. So the messages that I'm getting are coming from marketing, <laughs> from ATS, from Tax, uh, tax and accountant companies. And it's like, oh, uh, how how is your business surviving the COVID? I was like, <laughs> can I just check which business you're referring to? <laughs> it's a blog. <laughs> I mean, you know, no, it's, but- Lamar, it's the same as we would call a podcast a business because we both, Mark and I, we have the Sourcing Challenge show in our LinkedIn profiles, but it's oh, not the- a company. You know, we, I get even better. No I, get, I get those companies that want to pitch me guests. I'm like, if you'd listen to a single episode, you would know <laughs> who my guests are and know why I wouldn't need your help to find them. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's, I love, this is the part that I love about recruitment and outreach. It just amuses me most of the time. It's, on the other hand, it's the, the same reason why people think we're terrible people. Recruiters have a terrible name out there, right? Terrible. I mean, I love, like, I, I do a, in one of my emails, I've signed up for a lot of newsletters for marketing and sales and things like that. And I don't, I don't unsubscribe for them because I'd like, with some of them, like, depending on if they have a launch of some training, uh, you're going to get a lot of, and I like to see what they write and, like, like, which ones do I actually click on? Like, what's the headline? Like, what's the subject? And what do they actually write in it? And I'm like, I don't delete them because I'm like, one day I'm going to actually, like, okay, I want, 
this is something which is in in you know it's similar to this company like let's use some of their marketing emails and kind of see like how can i use because obviously i know they do a lot of research because they said spend a lot of money on this how can i use that to kind of do messages i like that i like that hey um we need to wrap up because i have some kids coming in <laughs> less notes uh, follow the Sourcing Challenge, Sourcing Challenge Show, Sourcing Challenge Weekly uh, with Dov and I. Uh, if you're new to it, uh, you have 30 hours of either audio or video content ahead of you. So, uh, yeah, take a take a couple of days off and just uh, set it on <laughs> on uh, on one and a half speed so you can get through it. And I would add to that that just be curious and, and just never stop exploring and experimenting and, and track the, the results of those experiments so that you would know what works and what doesn't. Cool. Hey, thanks for being my first guests on my show. Um, yep. Um, I'm going to certainly ask you back in the near future because I love this. This is a nice fluent conversation. Um, thanks both for joining me and uh, thanks for all the tips. You're listening to Dubel's Talks with your host, Mark Dubel. So thanks for listening to this um, first interview with Dov and Mark. We discussed quite a bit and there are some things that really stood out. But let's start with the view on recruiters because I had a feeling that it wasn't great, not bad necessarily, but there was a misalignment in a lot of companies, I guess. Most recruiters seem to focus on just their roles, purely inbound, not much long-term, not company-wide. Um, and they're need, not really getting the information that they need. Now, I know that in a lot of companies, it's a little bit different, right? But since that view is there, there's some kind of misalignment. And that's important. If we want to utilize recruiters and sources in the right way, we have to think about, okay, what are recruiters doing? What is a full-stack recruiter? What is a 360 recruiter? And how do we utilize sources? And let them train each other, because if it's misaligned, something's off. We also found out that it's very important to ask hiring managers where the audience hangs out, because that's where you can actually find them. We saw that the value of a source lies in a long-term relationship, um, especially company focus instead of just a single team or position. And sourcing outreach really depends on the audience. Are you going to call them, email them, text them, whatever? What really stood out was that I'm thankfully not the only one that thinks that business email is, is a no-go. Cold calling during work hours is not great as you can't put the person in a difficult situation. So think about this. You are not just reaching out. You're introducing your company and you only have one chance to do that right. A good brand takes a while to build, but it's very easy to break it down in just one message. So focus on quality and not just play the numbers game. And don't expect people to pick up the phone in their evening or resting time. Don't make those assumptions. It's up to them. So the use of things like Calendly is amazing. Scheduling tools that give the candidate the power to reach out to you whenever they feel comfortable. Utilize that because you're giving the power to the candidate, you're giving the interest to the candidate, and you're not spamming them or bothering them in their own time. What I also heard was that WhatsApp is still underutilized and especially the voice messages. I loved that tip, sending out a voice message or a short video to make it personal. And cold calling, although I believe it's kind of dead, it's not dead. 
It depends on the industry where you want to find your people, but still it's getting less. And another thing is read the profile. If it does say, don't contact me, don't because you're killing your own brand. If you read them carefully and you will see Easter eggs hidden, use them because they will actually trigger a response to you. So read instead of scan. And don't forget, it's not just about now, it's about building relationships in the future. So make it personal, show that you actually care. And when you do outreach, please don't send people to the website to apply. That's the worst thing you can probably do. Remember this thing, and it's very important. Your process, your outreach, your messaging, your sourcing, everything reflects on you and your company. You're talking about your personal brand and your company brand. I hope you enjoyed the show and talk to you next time. Have an amazing week, people. Thank you.